Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Top Secret, what you need to know about privacy laws and regulations. Privacy issues permeate the insurance industry, and the laws are changing rapidly. Join Dan Cotter, attorney and counselor with Howard & Howard, as he sits down with Fred Karlinski, shareholder and co-chair, insurance regulatory and transactions practice at Greenberg Traurig, PA, to discuss some of the privacy laws and regulations that impact the insurance industry. And now, here's your host, Dan Cotter. Hello, this is Dan Cotter with another episode of the AICP Insurance Podcast, and welcome to this latest AICP podcast focusing today on privacy and insurance. The title of this podcast is Top Secret, What You Need to Know About Privacy Laws and Regulations. Consumer personal information is highly sensitive and valuable data that requires careful consideration when it comes to its storage and distribution. This podcast will discuss the various privacy laws and regulations and their effects on the insurance industry. Join our experienced professionals as they explore this important topic and learn how you can keep your future employer compliant while protecting its customers. Today, I'm pleased to have on the show Fred Karlinski, a shareholder at the law firm of Greenberg Traurig. He is also co-chair of the firm's Insurance Regulatory and Transactions Practice Group. Fred, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here today. Fred, we have we've have known each other for many years, have worked on a number of transactions together and keeping up with each other at various associations, including the AICP. Why don't you tell the listeners a bit about your career as a lawyer and how you've supported the insurance industry? and its regulatory and transactional needs. Well, thanks, Dan, and, and we have known each other for a while, and it's it's great to call you a colleague. I'm a shareholder with Greenberg Traurig, and I've been a practicing insurance regulatory attorney for approximately 30 years now. As part of my practice, I represent and advise insurers, reinsurers, producers, investment managers, funds, and other members of the insurance industry in connection with various regulatory, corporate, transactional, and other issues that arise in their day-to-day operations. I'm also an adjunct professor of law at the Florida State University College of Law, where I teach an insurance law class. A significant portion of what I do in my legal practice involves the interpretation of the various laws and regulations that govern the insurance industry, as well as representation of my clients before insurance regulators and governmental agencies in all 50 states and beyond. Well, that's great. Fred, as you've written, privacy in the United States is not a uniform federal law or set of laws, but much of this privacy laws are at the state level, and we're seeing an increasing number of them, of course, as with, you mentioned, various laws and regulations that govern the insurance industry. For those uh, students interested, there's uh, an unlimited amount of interpretation involved, given all the 50 states. Unlike some countries and states such as California, the United States Constitution provides no explicit right to privacy. Can you tell listeners a little bit about that and the origins of privacy? Absolutely, and you're 100% right, Dan, and we call it really a patchwork quilt of regulation and laws that cover data and privacy in the various states. So in the 1890s, Louis Brandeis, who was then a private attorney who would eventually sit on the United States Supreme Court, wrote a paper in the law review with his partner, Samuel Warren, called the right to privacy. 
The paper had a profound effect on the body of jurisprudence going forward because it proposed a personal right to be left alone. In later years, the court would support this penumbra's argument of a right of privacy implicitly existing in the United States. The AICP previously recorded a session on cybersecurity, and that is something of great importance to the insurance industry. But long before cybersecurity was a focus or even a word, privacy was a focus in this industry. Insurance companies might collect and maintain the biggest amounts of privacy and personal information of any industry. Several privacy laws were implemented in the 1990s that continue to be with us today. One is the EU Directive on Privacy, and it impacts some insurers who do business in Europe. But today, we want to focus our attention on a few that are related to the United States insurers and practices. The first is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996 and its implementing regulations, including the standards for privacy of individually identifiable health information known as the privacy rule and security standards, the security rule collectively referred to as HIPAA. Fred, why don't you tell us a little bit about HIPAA? Absolutely, Dan. So as you mentioned, HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, and it's always affectionately called HIPAA. The HIPAA privacy rule applies only to covered entities such as health plans, healthcare clearinghouses, and certain healthcare providers. But most of these entities do not handle all of their activities or functions by themselves. They often enlist the services of several other people or businesses referred to as business associates. The privacy rule allows the covered entities that I just mentioned earlier to disclose protected health information or PHI with those business associates and requires them, among other things, to provide notification of certain breaches of unsecured PHI. Protected health information is individually identifiable health information that is transmitted by electronic media, maintained in electronic media, or transmitted or maintained in any other form or medium. There are three exceptions to the definition of breach, which generally relate to whether the information can be used or disclosed in a manner not permitted by the privacy rule, or whether the unauthorized person would have been able to retain the information otherwise. In 2009, uh, the Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health Act the High Tech Act, a lot of acronyms in insurance for the students that are listening, was signed into law as part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009. Can you tell us a little bit about this High Tech Act, Fred? Absolutely. And there's a lot of acronyms whenever you're dealing with the government. And, and when you deal with insurance, it just uh, explodes exponentially. But when the High Tech Act was enacted, it was considered to be the most important piece of health care legislation to be passed in the last 20 or 30 years. Under the act, the US Department of Health and Human Services was to spend nearly 26 billion to promote and expand the adoption of health information technology. It included as much as 36 and a half billion in spending to create a nationwide network of electronic health records. Generally speaking, high tech had several goals, including encouraging the adoption of health information technology to improve quality, safety, and efficiency in healthcare, improving human and organizational infrastructure to achieve the effective exchange of health information and to increase the meaningful use of health IT, 
improving privacy protections and enhancing security to safeguard electronic health information. HITECH was also put in place to encourage compliance with HIPAA by increasing the financial penalties for HIPAA violations. And last, it was intended to make business associates legally responsible for protecting health information and improving compliance with HIPAA rules. That's a, a lot of information. Thank you, Fred, on, on HIPAA and high tech. Now let's turn to another act that was implemented in the late 1990s. I was an attorney at CNA Financial uh, when HIPAA issued, and then Graham Leach Bliley Act came along. Fred, why don't you tell us a, a bit about how Graham Leach Bliley came to be? Absolutely. So Graham Leach Bliley was enacted in November of 1999 as part of the Financial Modernization Act of 1999. That law was implemented to permit the merger of travelers and insurer with Citibank and investment bank. The Glass-Steagall Act prohibited such mergers and this law was designed to permit that merger. With it and the recognition that these merged organizations would have a plethora of data to share with its various parts, Congress also implemented Gramm-Leach-Bliley to put some protections in place. What what does the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act or GLBA apply to? Broadly speaking, it applies to financial institutions that are defined by the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act. One element of the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act is privacy notices. Why don't you tell us a little bit about these privacy notices as well? Sure. So similar to HIPAA, there are covered entities under Gramm-Leach-Bliley, and the notices require covered entities, which include insurers, to let consumers know what information is being collected, what information is being shared, and how that data is secured by the covered entities. In December of 2015, Congress amended the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act as part of the Fixing America's Surface Transportation, or FAST Act, again, more acronyms, which was entered into law and became effective immediately. The FAST Act included an amendment which added a new Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act subsection to provide an exception to the annual notice requirement for financial institutions that meet certain conditions. It eliminated a duplicative and costly notification requirement. What other provisions did Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act include? So the first is a written information security plan. Every insurer or entity covered under Gramm-Leach-Bliley must have such a plan in place. This requirement is with respect to how financial institutions safeguard information, the safeguards rule, requiring financial institutions to have written information plans. In many ways, this is similar to what is now required under the New York Cybersecurity Regulation 500 and the NAIC model cybersecurity law. The second is pretexting protections. The pretexting rule is designed to counter identity theft. To comply, there must be mechanisms in place to detect and mitigate unauthorized access to personal, non-public information. Fred, in addition to the specific privacy laws discussed today, HIPAA and Gramm-Leach-Bliley, we also have other laws that potentially come into play for insurers that apply more broadly. Can you tell us a little bit about security breach notification laws that exist in, in the states? Absolutely. So in every state and the District of Columbia, we have such laws in place. Many are very similar but they all have um, some subtle differences in terms of what to do in the event of a breach within that state and timelines for notifying regulators, which include the attorney general 
in any given state. So these laws are put in place when a breach affects a consumer within a particular state, and there's certain notification requirements depending on the number of consumers, and that's what triggers this. As no surprise, California was the first state to have such a law. It was enacted in 2002 and became effective in 2003. And you mentioned California. California, last few years, has also been busy with the privacy law and then ballot initiative that in many ways looks like the EU's general data privacy regulation that came out a few years ago. Can you tell us a little about the California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018, the CCPA? Absolutely, Dan. So the CCPA was referred to as the toughest online privacy law and a sweeping data privacy bill, and it refers to the California Constitution's inalienable right of privacy, which we noted earlier is unusual in the United States. The CCPA includes several rights to consumers, which include the right to be told what is being collected, what data is being collected, the consumer right to be forgotten or to have data deleted, the consumer right for information not to be sold, and the consumer right against discrimination. In 2020, a ballot initiative was passed in California, the California Privacy Rights Act of 2020, or the CPRA. That made some modifications to the CCPA, but the bulk of the CCPA remained in effect. The CPRA changed the size of, of entities subject to the law and made some other modifications that the enablers, if you will, of the CCPA were not happy with how that was working. And so they went on to petition the voters to pass the CPRA. And several other states, including Colorado and Virginia, have recently implemented privacy laws that are pretty stringent, like the California CCPA. In addition, New York in recent years passed the SHIELD Act. Can you tell us a little bit about the SHIELD law? Absolutely. The SHIELD Act broadens the definition of private information by including biometric information and the username, email address in combination with the password or security question and answer. It expands the definition of breach to include unauthorized access of computerized data that compromise the security, confidentiality, or integrity of private information. The SHIELD Act also expands the territorial scope by expanding the territorial application of the breach notification requirement to any person or business that owns or licenses private information of a New York resident. Uh, in addition, the Act imposes data security requirements. We've discussed a number of privacy laws today, including the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, HIPAA, state breach notice laws in California and New York's uh, particular laws. Is there a common theme amongst these different laws that the students and listeners might get out of this? There is. So all of these laws are designed to protect consumer data from unwarranted usage and disclosure, but they all have exceptions for usage by the collector and holder of such information as they must permit the ability for insurers to provide insurance and services to their insurers. Fred, one of the things I've written about several times and discussed in privacy over the years is that almost every privacy law in the United States and elsewhere derive from the principles that were developed in 1980 by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, another acronym, an economic group of 34 countries. Can you describe those seven principles, Fred? Absolutely. So the seven principles are notice, choice, onward transfer, security, data integrity, 
access enforcement. And frankly, they really mean exactly what the typical usage of those words are. And so those are the seven principles. For, for the students listening, Fred, are, are there ways that they can have an insurance career focused on data and privacy in particular? For sure. Big data, innovation, and privacy are all significant parts of today's insurance industry. Students interested in a career in insurance related to privacy and data can easily find ways to reach those goals, including through the path of becoming an insurance advisor and even an insurance lawyer like us, Dan. Thank you, Fred, for this informative podcast. It's good to spend some time with you talking about the important topic of privacy. Thank you for having me, Dan, and thanks to the ASCP for putting this on. And to the students listening, best of luck in your future career.